decide to find a Bible and turn to John 11 in a few moments, it will take me a few moments to read the whole chapter, um, just to, uh, to comment on the obvious, um, I do have a black eye, so um, just so you're not distracted for the rest of the message, there are two standard responses to that, I'll just pick up one of them. The other guy is fine, actually, thank you, uh, he looks okay, uh, he was lovely, he was very apologetic, uh, it was a clash of heads playing football. Um, okay, you ready for John 11? I'm going to read all 57 verses, okay? We're going to get through the whole chapter today. Now, a man named Lazarus was ill. He was from Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. This Mary, whose brother Lazarus now lay ill, was the same one who poured perfume on the Lord and wiped his feet with her hair. So the sisters sent word to Jesus... Lord, the one you love is ill. When he heard this, Jesus said, This illness will not end in death. No, it is for, the, for God's glory, so that God's Son may be glorified through it. Now, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So, when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed where he was two more days. And then he said to his disciples, Let us go back to Judea. But Rabbi, they said, a short while ago, the Jews uh, there tried to stone you, and yet you're going back? Jesus answered, Are there not twelve hours of daylight? Anyone who walks in the daytime will not stumble, for they will see by this world's light. It's when a person walks at night that they stumble, for they have no light. After he said this, he went on to tell them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I'm going there to wake him up. His disciples replied, Lord, if he sleeps, he will get better. Jesus had been speaking of his death, but his disciples thought he meant natural sleep. So then he told them plainly, Lazarus is dead. And for your sake, I'm glad I was not there so that you may believe, but let us go to him. And Thomas, also known as Didymus, said to the rest of the disciples, let us also go that we may die with him. On his arrival, uh, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Now Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem and many Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them in the loss of their brother. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, but Mary stayed at home. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you'd been here, my brother would not have died. But I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha answered, I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord, she replied. I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God, who is to come into the world. After she had said this, uh, she went back and called her sister Mary aside. The teacher is here, she said, and is asking for you. When Mary heard this, she got up quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet entered the village, but was still at the place where Martha had met him. When the G Jews who had been with Mary in the house comforting her noticed how quickly she got up and went out, they followed her, supposing she was going to the tomb to mourn there. When Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you'd been here, 
my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who'd come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Where have you laid him? He asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied. Jesus wept. And the Jews said, see how he loved him. But some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man from dying? Jesus, once more deeply moved, came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. Take away the stone, he said. But Lord, said Martha, the sister of the dead man, by this time there is a bad odour, for he has been there four days. Then Jesus said, did I not tell you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. Then Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you've heard me. I know that you always hear me, but I said this for the benefit of the people standing here, that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said this, Jesus called in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out, his hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth round his face. Jesus said to them, take off the grave clothes and let him go. Therefore, many of the Jews who had come to visit Mary and had seen what Jesus did, believed in him. But some of them went to the Pharisees and told them what Jesus had done. Then the chief priests and the Pharisees called a meeting of the Sanhedrin. What are we accomplishing? They asked. Here is this man performing many signs. If we let him go on like this, everyone will believe in him. And then the Romans will come and take away both our temple and our nation. Then one of them named Caiaphas, who was high priest that year, spoke up. You know nothing at all. Do you not realize that it is better for you that one man die for the people than the whole nation perish? He did not say this on his own, but as high priest that year, he prophesied that Jesus would die for the Jewish nation. And not only for that nation, but also for the scattered children of God to bring them together and make them one. So from that day on, they plotted to take his life. Therefore, Jesus no longer moved about publicly among the people of Judea. Instead, he withdrew to a region near the wilderness to a village called Ephraim, where he stayed with his disciples. When it was almost time for the Jewish Passover, many went up from the country to Jerusalem for their ceremonial cleansing before the Passover. They kept looking for Jesus. And as they stood in the temple courts, they asked one another, what do you think? Isn't he coming to the festival at all? But the chief priests and the Pharisees had given orders that anyone who found out where Jesus was should report it so that they might arrest him. In this world... Nothing can be certain, nothing can be said to be certain, except death and taxes. Um, that is the words spoken by Benjamin Franklin many years ago. Actually, I think probably quite a lot of people said it around the same time. Who knows if he was the first to say it. But there are, there are, there's nothing certain in this world except death and taxes. And I'm, I'm going to speak about uh, one of those uh, today. Some of you are thinking, why, why are we talking about taxes? Uh, um, Death and taxes, but forget the taxes part. We're not really going there today. Um, uh, personally, I think looking back, maybe a little bit like Hannah, I can look back on, on, on just a blessed upbringing. Um, 
a sheltered upbringing, probably personally in many ways, one where I, I, didn't, I wasn't confronted by death uh, for some time. Uh, that kind of life lesson, I suppose, was hinted upon by having pets. Um, uh, one wonders, like a future archaeologist digging up our garden would see, like, why, why did they bury so many rodents um, over the years? Hamsters, gerbils, guinea pigs. We've, we've continued that trend as a family, as I've probably told you before now. Um, ironically, we, we've called our guinea pigs things that you would find in a garden, and, and now that's where three of them are. Um, so most recently we said goodbye to Blossom. Uh, prior to that, it was Lavender. Some, some years ago, it was Buttercup. Um, and, uh, and a few more will, will join them at some point. Um, I'm sorry, that is a slightly flippant way of starting. But, um, but I suppose six, seven, eight-year-old me, that, that was my encounter with death. Something could be alive, something could be close, something could be uh, precious to me. Um, my guinea pig when I was that kind of age was called Sherbet. I'm not sure where that came from, but I loved Sherbet and then it went. Uh, my, my grandparents all made it into their, like long into their 90s. They were just blessed with long life and I was blessed with, with knowing them and a, and a Christian heritage. So it was, some, it was some years later in my, kind of now in my teenage years, part of a church family when, when, when I, I suppose I was confronted with with death more significantly for the first time. There was a, there's a family in the church who had really kind of looked out for us as a family when we were having a bit of a crisis. Uh, I can remember a particular birthday party that this family hosted um, and just looked after us in, in that way. And just in my teenage years, then the news came through. Peter, the, uh, the father, the husband, just been taken kind of dramatically and very seriously unwell. Um, it passed away three weeks later, um, and he, he, he sent kind of message through to the church to the effect that um, you can see this as, uh, as God taking someone in their prime, or you can see this as God calling me home. A man who was facing his own death and yet kind of keen to, to, to kind of pastor and reassure the people that just cared for him. And so sometimes, you know, death just comes close and it can, we can see it coming perhaps in some situations or it can just take us totally by uh, surprise. We, we don't know exactly how, how old Lazarus was. We don't know the situation that was confronting that particular family in detail. Um, but w the passage just confronts us with death to start with. Uh, that was the case for Lazarus. He got ill. That was the case for, for Mary and Martha. They were concerned. They sent message to Jesus. That's therefore what confronts Jesus. The report comes through. The one you love is ill. Even then, beyond that, we could see that Jesus is then beginning to be confronted by his own death that's coming. As we've seen before now, there are plots afoot to kill him. He knows that that time's coming. His disciples then are warning him, don't go back to Judea. Because people there want to kill you. And even, even Thomas's expectation, pessimistic perhaps, was that they were all going to die with him. Um, we, we are, we, death is unavoidable. We'll be confronted by it at some point, and we can't avoid it in this passage. And we can't avoid it 
in, in life. Uh, in, we could look at a few verses uh, that just echo that point, really. Uh, Romans chapter 6. If we're ever caused to ponder, well, why does death happen at all? Uh, Romans chapter 6, verse 23, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. We live in a world where people uh, die because sin came into the world. Uh, when Adam and Eve took the, the fruit of which they were forbidden to take from the, the tree of the knowledge of, of good and evil, God said, you, you will surely die. And then we're born into a world where it's inevitable. Um, uh, Hebrews chapter 9 and verse uh, 27 uh, begins, just as, as man, just as every person is, is destined to die once and then face judgment. Um, uh, a reference there to, again, just the inevitability. This is unavoidable. This is how things are. Uh, we are all destined to die and then face, um, face judgment. That, that death comes because we, because we sin, because we have uh, rebelled against God. Um, again, in Romans, Paul speaks of the law of sin, this unavoidable principle that because of sin, we face death. Um, so turning to this passage then, and remembering that, that Jesus is God's word made flesh. Jesus is God showing the world what he's like. God himself dwelling amongst his people. Um, what, what then are we to make of, of death and life in the light of what we see in Jesus here? What's the difference that he makes? What does he reveal about God? What do we learn about God through Jesus in this situation? And what, what does John uh, in writing this gospel, uh, wants us to understand. I'm just going to draw out a few things before we consider uh, our response. Uh, firstly, what we see in John chapter 11 through Jesus is that God is in control. You can see this in any number of places. Jesus knows what's going to happen. Verse 4, when he heard this, Jesus said, this illness will not end in death. Jesus knows what's going to happen. He doesn't act fearfully uh, because of what others might seek to do. That's when the disciples are expressing their concern, not so much for Lazarus, actually for Jesus, uh, because they know the threat on his head. Um, he's, he says, are there not 12 hours of daylight? Anyone who walks in the daytime will not stumble, for they see by this world's light, in verse 9 and in verse 10. It is when a person walks at night that they stumble, for they have no light. He's saying, he's saying of himself, Look, I'm, I'm walking around in the light. I am seeking to do God's will. I'm entrusting my life before God. So those who are stumbling around in the darkness... Um, uh, are not going to control the decisions that I make right now. We're going back to Judea. I'm trusting my life into the hands of my heavenly Father. I'm doing his work, and he's big enough to take care of me. I'm not going to run and hide from those who are trying to take my life. And he is 
He's confident of the ultimate outcome. It says in verse 11, after he'd said this, he went on to tell them, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I'm going there to wake him up. Uh, the disciples uh, have misunderstood him, took him too literally uh, at that point. Uh, but he knows what he's going to do. He knows how this is going to work out. He's, he's clear and he, know, he seems almost to know stuff without being told, without a further report coming. So in verse uh, 14, he told them plainly, Lazarus is dead. It seems, it seems like Jesus knows that before anybody else does. So we see in Jesus that there's a God who's in total control, who knows what's going to happen, uh, who's not shocked or taken off guard. Um, he's a God in control. Amen too. But what we see flowing on from that secondly is that sometimes God allows the worst thing to happen. We see that here. For, for Lazarus and his sisters. We may have, I know in this room, we could have maybe a hundred testimonies of the worst thing happened. They did die. It did stop. It didn't get better. Um, we, could, we, could have, we could have thousands of testimonies in Ukraine of the worst thing has happened. Disaster has struck. There's just an almighty ugly mess um, in the natural with little encouragement that things are, going, uh, that are set to improve. The, Jesus does not shelter us from the possibility of grief or disappointment. You know, we, we marvel at the signs Jesus performs in John's gospel. We go through, we've been kind of been through them one by one. And, and this, of those kind of seven initial signs pointing to who Jesus is, this is the kind of climactic one. So it can seem strange then that there's this reference to just how much Jesus loves Lazarus. We, we might remember, yeah, he, 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 he must have known people at that wedding. He loved them. We could think of, uh, of, of the other occasions where the, the royal official comes and finds Jesus. My son is ill. What does Jesus do? He just says the word. What's your name again? Just says the word. You can go. Your son will be well. Or we could think of the, the, the paralyzed man in, in chapter 5. Jesus sees someone. I don't think we've met before. Um, but I say, get up, take your mat and go home. We could, we could remember the, the great crowd that has gathered to Jesus in chapter 6. You know, what, what will happen to them if they don't have any food? What does Jesus do? He, he takes five loaves and the, and the fish and he multiplies it and he gives thanks for it, puts it into the hands of the disciples. Let's feed everyone. Amazing demonstrations of his compassion. We could see in chapter 9, there's the, the man born blind. And people ask the question, who, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he's like this? No, this is not happening. This is for the glory of God. Going to open the eyes of a blind man. So when you get to a message that says, Jesus 
The one that you love is ill. Jesus, you know this guy. He knows you. We're family. This is not just a crowd. This is not a passing stranger. This, this is Lazarus. The message comes through. Lord, the one you love is ill. And then later, in verse 5, John affirms it. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So, when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed where he was two more days. Is that not just a little bit odd? We understand Jesus, that you, know, you can't heal everyone. You can't do everything in the flesh. Back in those days, Jesus couldn't be everywhere. So, but, but surely, in the, here's a situation where he drops everything and he runs. Why? Because we're family. But because Jesus loves them, he stays put for two more days, allowing the worst thing to happen. Now, maybe Lazarus died just shortly after that report came to Jesus. Um, I don't work it out. But you could understand why the sisters might both say the same thing to Jesus when he arrives. You know, they, they are now, they're processing grief. They, they are, they're working through the early stages of their loss. And, and, and they both say exactly the same thing to Jesus. They have been talking. They've been processing it together. Been trying to puzzle it through. What on earth is going on here? Lord, in verse 21 and in verse 32, Lord, if you had been here, I mean, it's this curious mix of, of love and respect. Even when, 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 when Mary turns up later, when Jesus, Jesus is there and, and Mary, she comes and falls at his feet, which we could understand as, as an act of worship. Lord, yeah. But this, this act of worship is still just slightly mixed with a rebuke to the Saviour. If you'd been here, where were you? And perhaps for us, that can, that can be our, our initial response. It's, I mean, it could be worse. That initial response of just things are mixed together. I love you, Jesus, but what on earth are you playing at? You could have made it sooner. But I suppose even just then, we might think in the context of, of family life, we could mistake we could mistake being loved and feeling loved for just always getting what we want as soon as we want it. And maybe the parents in the room are starting to nod and go, yeah. The little one next to me kind of thinks sometimes that I love them when I give them exactly what they want as soon as they want it. But because I love them, there is this bigger picture. So sometimes, kids, just 
receive the love of the adults that care for you, even when the answer is, is no, and, and it might feel tough. And you don't have to understand the full picture, but trust that you're, that you're being loved. But doesn't that go for all of us with our Heavenly Father? We, we don't get to see the big picture. Perhaps we can imagine that if the Lord would just take a little bit more time and if he, if he could just explain absolutely everything, then we'd understand, of course, Lord, now we get it, as you were. The fact is we don't understand everything. We don't see the complete big picture. So we don't always understand why something happened or didn't happen. God is allowed to disappoint us. But we might conclude from that. God is in control. Sometimes God allows the worst things to happen. We might start to think to ourselves, well, therefore, God, is God just weirdly like a machine, just doing kind of glory calculations all the time? Kind of very dispassionate and unconcerned with, with what the implications might be like for very finite human creatures who don't understand everything. And so what we need to see from chapter 11 here in, in John's Gospel is also God cares deeply. When we arrive at, uh, at verse uh, 33, uh, we, we begin to see now with, with, with Martha uh, and Mary, uh, when Jesus saw her, that is Mary, weeping, and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, Important to note, sometimes that phrase, the Jews, is mentioned at the point where people's opposition and hostility to Jesus is being highlighted. Well, here, the Jews are just being commended. Lots of them must have known Mary and Martha, and lots of them have come. And lots of them are offering comfort alongside. And they are also weeping. And we, we needn't read into that, that that's just sort of hypocritical play acting. No, there's, there's real comfort uh, going on here. When Jesus saw them all weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Where have you laid him? He asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied. Jesus wept. The shortest verse in the Bible. God is not simply just machine-like churning through decisions. We're being reminded here of God's deep care. We're also being reminded that, that Jesus, God's son, is fully human. We cry when we're upset. Jesus cried when he was upset. And sometimes when we cry, uh, more than one thing is going on. It's not always easy to sum up entirely why we're upset. There might be something that's strikingly obvious. Um, I think for here, for Jesus, there's at least a couple of things going on. 
that description of being deeply moved in spirit and troubled is a phrase that actually portrays a, a, a anger. He's deeply moved. It's, this is not just a sentimental wiping a tear from an eye. He, he's deeply moved. He's deeply upset. And that upset involves a level of anger. Things, things are not as they should be here. So what is upsetting Jesus? I think Jesus is angry with sin and death. I don't think that God wants us to conclude that he's in some kind of buddy relationship with death. As though, therefore, we should somehow make friends with it, come to terms with it. Now, there's something about death we shouldn't come to terms with. It, it's not a friend. It's an ugly result of sin, of being in a world that is in rebellion to God. This is, this is not something that God would say, oh yeah, that, that's part of my design. That's really part of what I wanted. Go through the gateway. No, it's, it's a nasty, horrible shocker. That we might give thanks when someone's passed away. We, we might find things to give thanks for. We're not giving thanks for death. We're allowed to be shocked. We're allowed to be horrified. We're allowed to say it's, it's ugly. Jesus was, was angry with sin and death. I think also, I have, have to say, mingled in, there might also be something going on where Jesus is upset with people's lack of faith in what he says. Because otherwise it just seems to be bizarre that Jesus would know exactly what's going to happen. Jesus would know exactly the outcome in this specific situation. He knows he's going back to Bethany and he's going to raise Lazarus from death. Not in like distant future, but in a couple of days. It's going to happen. And part of him being deeply moved in spirit and troubled might be faced with death. No one believes me. No, they're not believing that I'm going to raise him. Um, he says, uh, <laughs> when Martha protests, yeah, there's going to be a bad smell because my brother's been in the grave for four days. Jesus asks, did I not tell you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? You might trace back through and say, when did he say that to Martha? And either we don't have the full conversation, or Jesus is saying, here's the message you should have got from what I said earlier on about being the resurrection and the life. I'm going to raise him. Has that clock stopped? <laughs> There's me just cracking on. Can someone just give me a shout out for the time? Five to two, quarter to three. Coffee time. Five to 12, got a little bit longer. Okay, not ages. Um, Jesus asks the question, did I not tell you that if you believe you will see the glory of God? Martha, you should have got this message already. 
He cares. And he's going to bring Lazarus back to life as he said he would. And maybe there is something when we're confronted with the worst thing happening that means that we just tune out of a whole raft of what God actually says in his word. We just tune it out because it's a bit like noise. Whatever. This is a situation I'm having to deal with. So this message of new life seems just alien to me. I can't deal with that. And God cares deeply and he's about a powerful work. And fourthly, what we might just see from this passage is a shift. The shift is beginning to happen right here in chapter 11 and chapter 12. The focus has been on the signs that Jesus has done and who Jesus says he is. And now the shift is going to focus, uh, it's going to shift and focus on what's going to happen to Jesus. And you can see that happening here in chapter 11. It begins in its focus on the death of Lazarus. As the chapter comes in to, con to conclude, it's about the death of Jesus. Can you even see this as maybe part of what was also upsetting Jesus? Because he's confronted with a tomb and a stone in front of it. And he knows what's going to happen to him. And even that by coming that close to Jerusalem and daring to do this miracle of raising Lazarus from the dead is going to prompt opposition. And the Sanhedrin resolve, they, it's decided, it's ratified, it's, this is definite, we are going to have him killed. Why? Because he dares to raise up Lazarus. We can't handle what he's doing. And if people follow him, and if people believe in him, then there's this popular uprising. All that's going to happen is the Romans are going to see it, they're going to crack down, we're going to lose everything. We're going to lose our nation, we're going to lose our temple, and perhaps we're also going to lose our position. We're going to lose our privilege. We cannot allow that to happen. Many Jews saw what happened and believed, and some Jews saw what happened and went into a room and decided he's got to die. So can you see that when Jesus is confronted by the death of Lazarus, he's confronted with his own death, and he's saying, I will raise him and it will cost me my life. I'm going to have to die. And so Caiaphas' words become both chilling and prophetic when he says to the people, um, what, are we, what are we accomplishing? Now, what does he say? You know nothing at all. You do not realise that it is better for you that one man die for the people than the whole nation perish. He did not say this on his own, but as high priest that year, he prophesied that Jesus would die for the Jewish nation. And not only for that nation, but also for the scattered children of God to bring them together and to make them one. We can't step away from this passage thinking Jesus doesn't care. He's just making a few calculated decisions that most glorify him. His desire for God's glory, as we heard last week, the good shepherd laid down his life. Jesus would face up to the worst thing happening. And what he did for Lazarus, God the Father would do for him. Outside a tomb, calling out that name, roll the stone back, calling out his name. Some have said he had to do that so that others weren't raised as well. Such is the power and authority of Jesus' Jesus' words. I'm not sure, but Jesus calls out 
Lazarus, come out. And he comes out. What, what are we supposed to make of this? What are we supposed to do? Well, what about you personally? Look, there is a way of facing death with faith. We're all confronted by it at some point. For all of us, we can't ignore it. Hebrews chapter 2 talks about um, living under the fear of death. And so for some, like me just growing up, that could just mean that it's like a strange curiosity. What is this thing? I mean, I've lost a guinea pig, but that's all about that's happened to me that's like hard in life. But for others, it's, it's loomed much larger. It's come much closer. It can produce in us just the desire to avoid it at all costs, never to talk about it. Just to be passive, don't ever, you know, it's a bit of a taboo, let's not talk. Absolutely petrifying. But the law of sin and death has been completely overcome by what Jesus has done for us. Whatever life might look like, however it might unfold uh, for any of us, for people in Ukraine, quite frankly, there's probably lots of nations that would know that too that just don't hit the news like Armenia, places of massive conflict. What, look, there is a way. Look to Jesus and accept the life that is available only in him. That whoever lives by believing in Jesus, though he, you are going to die, we're destined to die, you will come through to a life eternal. That Jesus has gone ahead of you and he can lead you into new Life That means that now, in the way that you live, you can be completely rescued from just the fear of death, the fear of what's going to happen, the fear of being out of control. doesn't have to be that way if you believe in Jesus. The, the words of Jesus um, to Martha, we could just consider, you could consider um, uh, personally when, when Jesus says to her, well, she says to him, I, I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. She has that understanding. You know, one day, everyone will be raised. Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live, even though he die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? Do you? Now is the time to respond to him. Now is the time to acknowledge, because of my sin, that is what's deserved. It's, that, that is what's coming my way and an, and an eternal separation from him. Like... Like if I just ask you all now, you don't have... This is not going to get shared you don't have to mention it to anyone what what would you do later on today if you could do something and there would be no negative consequences no one would find out there'd never be any penalty there'd, there'd never be any punishment it would it wouldn't word would never reach anybody no one would know what you did later on today You've got one day to get away with whatever you like. What would you do? Maybe don't think about it for too long. 
I'm off, honey. I just got to pop out for a while. No, I mean, um, at that point, are any of us thinking about doing something good? Are any of us thinking about what might glorify the Son of God? Are any of us thinking about some random act of kindness that we could perform to someone else? Or are we thinking, ah, sounds fascinating. What could... And we all shrug our shoulders and go, human nature. Yeah, that's exactly right. That demonstrates, our answer to that demonstrates that we need a saviour. We need someone who'd take the punishment. We need someone who'd say, I, I never did that. When I was asked, when Jesus was asked, what, what might you do? I'm going to lay my life down. I'm going to save other people. Now for all of us, it's possible to react to death and disappointment with a, with a cocktail of, of cynicism, of bitterness, of downgrading the word of God, of just playing it safe, always maybe praying it safe, never daring to believe that the impossible might be possible in God. Maybe like Martha, yeah, I believe in the resurrection one day. I believe ultimately, you know, years to come, that will take place. But as for the here and now, we've just got to plod through lots of rubbish. And, and yet life will throw up all sorts of challenges and, and, and difficulties. But we're being reminded of the resurrection power of Jesus that is at work in our here and now. It may not always result in, in, in seeing somebody raised to new life four days after they pass away. There will be suffering. There, there will be unanswered prayer. It's intriguing that Jesus should say earlier on, I'm, I'm glad we weren't there for the sake of your faith. What's, what's he talking about? There's a faith that gets strengthened and gets trained when initially our prayers aren't answered. If we just always had whatever we asked for at the drop of a hat, what would happen to our faith? Just become the most entitled, flabby Christians ever. Yet it's possible to grow bitter when prayers aren't answered, or it's possible for us to think, the story's not concluded yet. God will be glorified in this. I don't see the full picture, but I trust in God. And I believe that his power is at work, that he's training us for a greater glory that awaits. And the story is not yet finished. I can look back now and think I'm glad that there are prayers that weren't immediately answered. Because sometimes I can catch a glimpse in life of just something greater that God has been doing that he didn't do when I was 15 or he didn't do when I was 21, but I can see things happening now. I can see God answering prayers in a way that was different to what I might have expected. But I can see God at work. The story is not yet finished. We aren't to be a people who are just in despair, moaning at God, give us power, give us power. And there are, there are times to call on God for perhaps power we don't have. And, and perhaps um, there's a challenge going out to call and pray and fast for miraculous power that does see cancer healed, that does see the dead raised, that does see lives changed and transformed. But don't forget the power that's already at work. 
Don't just think this is an ordinary life and one day God might do this crazy little niche miracle. But remember that Paul could pray for the Ephesians in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 18. We'll probably wrap up, band can come up. Ephesians chapter 1, 18, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he's called you, the riches of his, his glorious inheritance in his holy people. Yet yeah, that is coming, this glorious inheritance, future hope. And, verse 19, his incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms. What's Paul praying? Not, I'm praying that God might give you power. He's saying, I'm praying that our eyes might be opened to the power that he's already given, that is already at work, might be falling to pieces, the whole world could be going to pot, but the resurrection power of God that brought Jesus to life is at work in us. And if we don't think that, we might just be thinking that we saved ourselves, we made a good decision, I was born in a Christian family, that's not why you're saved, if that is your story. You're saved because Jesus called out your name and the lights came on. You were dead. We were dead. There was no hope. But he called and we responded. New life came. That's his work. That's his power. And it's still at work in us now. Push through when you face unanswered prayer. Don't shrug your shoulders and turn away. Believe that God is at work. And that for us who believe, there is something powerful in us available, not of our own doing, but of his. So we can look at the worst thing happening and we can find faith. And we can say, God will be glorified. And come what may, there will be new life. Because God is awesome. Let's stand and worship God.